0: This episode is brought to you by Voodoo Ranger. It's beer. It's hoppy, trend setting, innovative, served with a little sarcasm, just like Paperhouse Network. Paperhouse Network is hoppy? Uh, yeah? It's like beer for your ears. Get yourself a Voodoo Ranger!
1: Welcome to the Pinch Music Podcast, episode number sixty-four. Um, I don't know if you would know based on this creepy music that we're doing the fifties on this episode. That music is strange. It has a Willy Wonka meets yeah. I'm on LSD for the first time.
2: Well, it's from the great one of the most influential sci-fi movies of all time, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Which was, I don't think what, I've, what, I've ever seen It was remade in the two thousands. Not not that great in my opinion, but it's one of the most important sci-fi movies ever made.
1: What makes a sci-fi movie important?
2: It's it's very influential in its themes of Okay, well this is aliens, not a movie podcast, so please stop talking. Just joking. And nuclear disarmament.
1: Um anyway, I'm here. My name is Scott. Anyway, I'm sorry, Jim. You sounded great. Thank My you. name is Scott. Uh, we're here at Pinch uh, Music or something. Where are we? Pinch I'm off. What's I'm, wrong with you? I think I'm having a pinch stroke. recording. We're here at Pinch Recording in Long Island City as part of the Paper House Network. I'm joined by the pickle boy himself, Mr. Jim Panels, and to my left, the boy who wears a hat but then takes it off and realizes he still has hair, Mr. Nick Angelo.
0: Thanks, Scott. I do have hair. I have nice, luscious, soft hair.
1: Yeah, except sometimes it looks like you put gel in it, but you didn't. Just because
0: I didn't shower the night before. Oh, our feet just touched. Yeah, it's weird.
1: Uh, So tell us what we're doing today, guys, because I'm clearly not all there.
0: I think you may have taken a trip back to the 50s, and you're a little jet-lagged. We are uh, back in our decades. We have done uh, previous previous episodes on the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. I believe we did the 60s. Um, We're going to revisit the 70s, that's for sure. But we've decided to do the 50s today, and Jim was very excited to do the 50s and kind of make it a little, uh, songs not quite, you didn't know we're from the '50s, and so we have obviously some classic hits on the big on the big uh, playlist. Make sure you are checking out the big playlist on the show notes. You can follow us on Spotify. It's the Pinch Music Podcast Playlist. That's the name of the account. Follow that, where you can get all the major playlists that we put together before we break it down and do about nine songs in an episode. But we have a lot of the major hits from the 50s, you know, the, it was the birth of rock and roll in that decade, but there's a lot of wild underground avant-garde, if you will, music that we kind of want to get into in the episode that you may or may not actually know came in the 50s. Obviously, we start with one of the best sci-fi movies, soundtracks, so that's kind of kind of set the tone for us. Jim, you were very mm. excited To do the '50s and kind of this, you may or may not know this came from this decade. What got you fired up about the '50s?
2: Um, Well, one obviously, when people think of the '50s, they're thinking early rock and roll. You know that sort of sound, doo-wop, also, or you know whatever, kind of like nice, safe music. Although it might have been a lot more rebellious feeling at the time. Um, So obviously, we need to include that. That's a very, very important part of the '50s. But I also said, you know... what's
1: an important part of the 50s?
2: (laughs) This sort of, like, what we sort of view is this, like, nice, safe-sounding music, which is felt more rebellious at the time, but, like, the origins of rock and roll, really. Okay. And now, whatever, it feels a little watered down in some senses, although we still like it, I think, but... I know every time we do these decades we're finding stuff that are like, oh, you wouldn't know this was from the sixties or the eighties or whatever. This was ahead of its time. So I really wanted to think about well, there must have been a lot of more underground, weird, avant garde stuff happening in the fifties, because there was certainly that stuff happening before the fifties. So, you know, I was really excited to go in and, and discover some of that stuff that I don't think any of us really knew about, him. and I think we did a g- good job pulling some of that out.
1: Yeah, you really, you really wanted to do the fifties. Mm-hmm. You were excited about yeah. it, and and it did turn into an avant-garde fifties somewhat playlist. I mean, obviously, in the larger playlist, there's more, but yeah, I mean, I I I didn't know that that's kind of the direction you were going to take at all Mm -hmm. to be honest with you i thought we were Mm -hmm. just doing like classic 50s you know riding around in the in in my automobile type shit is that
2: 50s yeah Yeah. Um, and we've we've got some of that for sure you
1: know like i I have memories of like driving with the family listening to oldies you know Mm -hmm. Um, and it certainly wasn't some of this avant-garde craziness
0: yeah well everyone knows that i grew up the, the summertime always makes me think of growing up And listening to oldies, we just did a summer jam playlist part two last episode. And once again, I was talking about the oldies. So I kind of kept that. That oldie sound out of it, although I do have a pick on there that you can, it's pretty much the same thing, but there's a different reason for that. Uh, Jim, you have some really good picks on this. There's actually one song that right this second, I still don't believe is from the 50s. Yeah, so
1: that song was
2: great. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Other people on, on the, well, we'll, we'll get into it. Other people were skeptical as well, and uh, it it is from the 50s, according to the track listing well, we're, on the album.
0: We're going to get to it when we get to it. Why don't we hit play and jump right in?
2: What a difference a day made 24 little hours What the sun and the flowers Mm, Where there used to be Yesterday
1: was blue day. That is Dina Washington. Is it Dina or Dina? Because I've been really struggling. It's Dina. I think it's Dina. Uh, the, uh, Dina Washington, and the song is uh, What a Difference a Day Made. And I put this on the playlist because it is... There's multiple reasons. One, I really want to get into the production of this um, as far as like the recording is concerned because I think mm-hmm. it's very representative of what was happening in the 50s. Um, I mean, they just don't make music. The shit just does not sound like this anymore, which, of okay. course, it's 50s. I mean, that was, I can't do math, but I'm assuming, what, 20 years or 70 years ago? <laughs> 20 years mm-hmm. ago. That was, what, 20 years ago? Um but the way that thing sounded um, and the way it was being recorded is just so lush and beautiful. Um, and I don't know. It just makes you feel like you're driving in a, in, in a uh, pale green car, you know, in the 50s. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? That that 50s green mm-hmm. and it's raining. The and there's, Buick Skylark? Yeah, yeah. And there's like little <laughs> raindrops on the rear view mirror and you look at the rear view mirror and you're like, is this real? Is this happening? And then you light up a lucky strike. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like
2: you're driving off into the, the next thing you know, sky you, at the end of Greece. Yeah, next
1: thing you know, you wake up. You're in a hospital bed. You're like, "Oh my god, what happened?" And they're like, "Sir, you just had a stroke."
2: Did you have <laughs> a, what?
0: How was? How, did you sleep last night?
1: Not great, because I told you at five a.m. my cat. I woke up with my cats having a ring match. <laughs> uh a, they had a steel
0: cage death match.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I you know what I think is really interesting and I also want to get into her death, which is sort of a weird thing. Um but the production on this, which is so cool if you listen and I'm going to do this as a as a example here, you'll hear the difference between the left and the right side. Right? Okay. When stereo came out it was like left and right it was like fucking mind-blowing, right? But if you listen the the difference so first of all you hear the background singers and the drums on the right and you hear her main vocals uh, on the left the bass is centered but then the plate reverb you can really hear the plate on the right side from her vocal which is on the left so i'm going to isolate this this is the right side background vocals plate reverb and drums Right. Now that if I just fantastic. Now if I just do the left side.
2: Mm, where there used to be rain. Wow. Strings. Strings. Strings good, yeah. My yesterday was blue day.
0: Today. And what's really interesting
1: a- too about this is like on the left side you hear a lot of room noises. Yeah. So they're all performing this live in the mm-hmm. studio, and you—the first of all, the strings that you get from back then—you just don't hear things like that anymore because now they're so pristine and beautiful. But yeah. here, you know, they're in, distant in a way that it's like it's coming through the vocal mic. It's all, you know, it's mm-hmm. everywhere, and you hear yeah. her moving and shuffling around. You hear yeah. her mouth noises. These are all the things that yeah. you that that modern production. Takes out and tries to fix.
2: I know. I love Why? that you can hear her a little bit on on the other channel too. Like you can just barely hear it's, her voice there and because what, that's just the reverb. Yeah. That's just
0: the plate reverb. When revert. was yeah. this recorded? What year? Uh, early early fifties.
1: Uh, I'm not sure of the year to be honest. But I, I just know it's in the fifties.
0: It's it's just it's just wild to me. Like we have the luxury of sitting here at the API console and just kind of being able to isolate the the left and the right side and hearing each. Individual thing, but you know, obviously, the API console is just uh, a modern work of uh, musical engineering. And we're sitting here in 2021. This happened over 70 years ago. The fact that they could pull that off and those just the the sounds that they recorded is just it's very impressive. And I'm glad you brought that to our attention because the the production of some of these songs, especially in the 50s, uh, really is incredible to think about if you can. Just remove yourself yeah. from what we're doing now. Would, you know what it is? It's that the
1: people, the musicians are performing the song. Yeah. There's, you know what I mean? This is all happening alive. Yeah. They're, you, they're performing the song. Yeah. That's you can't it.
2: do anything to fix it. You just, you can just capture it re- yes. really well and really authentically. Exactly. And that's about it. And but that is,
1: that is not completely lost yeah. in today's situation Mm -hmm. but like it is definitely something that is not common everybody wants to fix everything perfectly Mm -hmm. and guess what you take all of the vibe out of the
2: music totally now how how do you think they make the determination scott i assume you have some insight here into what is going into the left channel what's going into the right channel there
1: um i mean i don't know i think it's very common you know with the invention of stereo that like Mm -hmm. you're thinking Like, you want to use the stereo. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, wow, we have two speakers. Let's put one on the left and one on the right. You Mm -hmm. know, so I feel like that has a lot to do that. And you hear that a lot with the Beatles and, you know, like a lot of that kind of stuff because you have it, you want to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I personally love that. I love the
0: feel that you get from having the vocal completely on the left. Mm -hmm. Well, Jim, were you asking maybe there is like an actual scientific thing? part like what your left ear can like hear like is well, there- not
2: left first right but more like why do you want to put these things together and those think, things together well i think it's a common separate it, them i yeah. think it's
1: a a space thing for example a lot of the times most of the time the base is in the middle yeah right the base is centered because if you if you pan the bass sometimes it can give you a strange feel mm. now with that said with yeah. a lot of the beatles tracks the bass is panned to the left and right, right. so yeah. you know it really depends on this scenario the snare drum is completely on the right side mm-hmm. there is no drum on the left side of the of the track so i don't mm-hmm. know you know maybe sometimes it's like they want you to picture um what the stage might look like like if you're looking at a stage maybe the singer you know singer mm-hmm. standing on the left of the stage and the drummer's on the right of the stage and so they're trying to replicate yeah. that uh, you know but either way you know I, I i just find this stuff to be absolutely amazing i know um but let's move on to the next tune <laughs>
0: Lop if you heard the noise they make, but let me introduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's great, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving on along.
2: So that is Rocket 88 by Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats, although the Delta Cats are really Ike Turner and his Kings of Rhythm. And this song is really on here because it is probably the most commonly cited song as the first rock and roll record. That is obviously the subject of much debate, but if you go to, you know, historian, rock historian sources, they say this is the most fitting song to be called the first rock and roll song. There's a lot of songs out there that might fit the bill just as well or better. We're talking about one of them later, but that's what it is. Um, Ike Turner was the writer of the song, so obviously he's a little better known now for his days working with Tina Turner, but he Great guy. Was, <laughs> Great guy. Not, not really. But um he was an extremely important pivotal figure in early rock and roll. He worked with a lot of, you know, blues artists that sort of morphed into the early rock and roll songs and wrote a lot of a lot of those songs. Um and the, the one of the reasons it's cited as being the first rock and roll song is because of the distorted or fuzz guitar which you can really hear more towards the end of the song um and so there's a whole legend for how how the they it was like an accidental fuzz guitar song um so what happened was it was recorded in memphis with sam phillips and it's from 1951 that's worth mentioning as you know, saying rock and roll goes back at least that far, and for chess records, which we talked about uh, a week or two ago with the blues. So the band, this is you know, at least according to legend, the band was driving on Highway 61, yeah, from Mississippi to Memphis, and basically they were trying to get something out of the trunk, and they who was in the trunk? <laughs> wait,
1: wait, was it Marty McFly?
2: Oh man, that's oh. that's really funny. That is actually an interesting metaphor. Um, but uh, the the guitarist amp, it was all their equipment was in the trunk, and the guitarist amplifier was there. They damaged the the cone of the amplifier, and then they tried to hold it in place by stuffing a bunch of wadded newspapers in there. And then they got to the studio. That was the amp they had. They couldn't just run out and you know buy another amp.
1: There was no guitar center. No guitar. No guitar center
2: and it had this weird fuzz distorted sound and supposedly Sam Phillips said that sounds great you know some of this might be Sam Phillips building his own legend and being Yeah saying, that's cool that's know? like
1: a known thing to like rip your speaker yeah. and then and then like you know assemble it again with yeah. various things it's like prepared amplifiers yeah.
2: so this became huge in like Chuck Berry Little Richard's sounds uh for them and their bands so that is really the big reason that it's um Cited as as the first rock song. It's also about a car, the Oldsmobile Rocket eighty eight, which was like I guess a cool car back in the day um, that people loved driving around on. To throw back to what Scott was saying earlier about were the, were the fifty 50s, songs driving around in your car. Were the fifties great?
1: And was it because Not of for the everyone? War? Be, Not it, for yeah. post war. Tell me about the fifties.
2: Well, post war is
0: a is a very important part because I know uh, I know the fifties kind of was the birth of. I don't want to say the disc jockey cuz they've been around since the 30s but radio yeah. personalities where the disc jockey kind of became the own his own star yeah. uh Wolfman Jack, Casey Kasem um uh I can't think of the other guy's name at the right now uh but that kind of kind of created a a, a personality in the music business and then you were just talking about Sam Phillips I mean he's the one who founded Sun Records correct
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, that Yes,
0: I mean basically mm-hmm. launched Elvis. Uh so yeah, I mean the 50s kind of was the birth the birth time of rock and roll as we know it. Um and a lot of a lot of other uh just a lot of things came from the 50s. A lot of uh things became the the kids in the 50s were the parents in the 60s or how or how does it go? The the kid the flower children of the 60s Mm-hmm. We're basically born in the 50s, sure. Yeah.
2: So, I'm saying
1: the 50s as a culture, like what was going on in the 50s?
2: Well like like we were saying it's it's post-war everyone you know World War II was brutal in ways that sometimes we don't even talk about now. Um, you know what the men saw over there with their friends' heads getting blown off and all that um, and you know the millions upon millions that died and of course the Holocaust. So it was definitely a time for people to say, hey, let's chill out for a little bit. Let's be nice. Let's maybe pretend a little bit that everything is just perfect and we're going to move to suburbia and just feel safe for about 10 years.
1: Yeah, there's a suburbanness of it in yeah. the – The housewifeness of it, like, you know, like, hi, everybody, Mm -hmm. would you like some pasta for dinner tonight? You know, and they open the green fridge and, you know, it's like, here, honey, here's your pasta. Yeah, it's Pleasantville. Yeah, it's like Pleasantville, exactly. So, I don't know.
2: That's the reputation, at least.
0: More like meatloaf,
2: actually. Yeah, meatloaf, there you go.
0: Yeah, but don't get it twisted, it was also, I mean segregation and Jim Crow laws were still around too. So I mean, like the fifties weren't great for everybody, Yeah, but the, the general, the general idea of it was that, yeah, it was, you know, you're right. People start moving out of the cities in, into uh, suburbia. And that was because of the, the ability to buy automobiles. Mm-hmm. That was just, people can get around places. Now they can commute to work better than having to live in the city. So that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of part of it as well. That's why sub- suburban America kind of became a thing in the 50s because automobiles were more accessible at, at that time. Yeah. And by automobile, mobile, do you mean a car? Yes, cars. Is that the fancy word for vehicle? Oh, vehicle. Also, also, the 50s um, brought out uh, jazz music became kind of – on the in the forefront of things, it wasn't. It was taken out of the 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 nightclubs and mm-hmm. kind of put out to the mainstream. But you know what? Let's get to the yeah. Next I mean, song, I know. I, I do
1: want to talk about the jazz stuff. I mean, there was a lot of really good jazz music that came yeah. out of the fifties, like mm-hmm. crazy amounts. The Blue Note record stuff was like was like boom. Yeah. But I, mean, I guess that's what your next pick is about.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to segue. You to. were
1: trying to segue, but I'm sorry about that. Here we go.
0: That song is Doodlin by Dizzy Gillespie featuring Pee Wee Moore on saxophone recorded live from the Newport Jazz Festival and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about it is the Newport Jazz Festival is I don't know probably the first music festival that really become became like popular and like very very mainstream and that's what I was saying earlier is like this kinda helped put jazz out there to everyone. It wasn't just in these late uh late night nightclubs in New York City. It became it was in Rhode Island for God's sakes. Uh this was uh Dizzy Gillespie featuring Pee Wee Moore and if you listen to it, the first minute and a half is just an intro
1: Well I was gonna say that that was my favorite part of the song. That first minute and a half is awesome. It, yeah, you just hear everybody at the club or wherever they are. Well, it sounds like indoors though. I think they're out. I think they're outside. But anyway, you hear everybody laughing. It sounds like
0: a comedy well, well, show. That's, well, that's that's mm. what I wanted to bring up. First off, he's first off this album, the live album, is awesome, and he's recording with a big band, so it's kind of a, a mashup of big band music and and jazz, and he's introducing he, he's like doing a bit and I the whole time you hear people laughing throughout the entire song you hear people laughing because there's some sort of live performance happening and I don't know I've looked all over YouTube I was trying to find anything the to, the to, to say what was actually happening but people are laughing he does the intro of like oh now it's time to introduce the star of the band and then you can just you you hear what's happening and you can see in your head like the all the bandmates start standing up because no not you no not you and he's introducing Wee moore who is the saxophonist uh, on the song and it's just uh and the song the song's iconic but i just love the sound of it because it's a live recording of this festival and this festival is iconic and in fact it got so big in the 60s like led zeppelin was playing it they moved it to new york city because rhode island couldn't handle it and mm. it's uh actually had like a lot of different locations and i i just like <laughs> that's awesome that in the 50s and it kind of, it also spawned the uh, the Newport um, Folk Festival, mm. which kind of was a, like the Bob Dylan launching pad as well. Yeah,
2: which well, is something I really want old, to do. Bob or... Dylan going electric. Yeah, where he was practically booed off stage. Yeah. Um, but isn't that great? How jazz fests now have basically just become whatever fests, mostly rock well, you and know, funk fests. Well, you know why. Because
0: jazz is everything, oh. and everything is jazz.
1: Which, by the way, if you'd like that t-shirt, which I have, and I haven't worn yet, because I'm not sure it's going to be comfortable, I need to let my clothes age for, like, a couple weeks before I put something on, just to just make Just, like, sure. in an oak
2: barrel or something? Yeah,
1: like, no, just in my closet, yeah. which could be construed as an oak barrel. Yeah. But, you know, like, I just leave it there for a bit, let it marinate a bit in the air and the humidity Uh, it's got to be just right also i want to lose a couple what 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 i'm saying is i'm too fat what scott's
0: trying to say is if you are interested in merch we do have merch make sure that there is a link in the show notes i have a merch store where you can buy shirt a shirt that says the jazz is everything and everything is jazz because i don't know if you know this i've said that a couple times on this podcast and while we're at it nick's revolving 10 Yeah, make sure you check out my personal playlist. Every Friday, I put on 10 songs. they are 10 jams from any genre, any decade, whatever I'm feeling. Every Friday, it's updated. And it lasts a whole week until the next Friday. Nick Angelo's Revolving 10, only on Spotify.
1: Okay, and what are we going to do now? Because I'm a little bit excited, but I'm not 100% sure what
0: we're doing. (laughs) What a great... (laughs) <laughs> what a great way to throw... <laughs> to, Smooth. To, <laughs> I think what Scott is trying to say, after he lets his clothes age in his closet, it's time for a live read
2: with Tidbit Jim. On July 4th, 1932, the 16-year-old Hardin found an object in a field which he did not realize was a dynamite cap. While he was handling it, the explosive detonated in his face and permanently blinded him. After learning the principles of music in several schools for blind young men across middle America, he taught himself the skills of ear training and composition. He studied with Burnett Tuthill at the Iowa School for the Blind.
1: Well, we'll get into Jim's pick, but th- what we're listening to right now is Moondog, uh, off the album Moondog. Wow. Death, When You Come to Me is what that is. And the reason I wanted to play this after the read, which was lovely as always, uh, okay. is because it's the, the read is about Moondog.
2: That was crazy, whatever was happening there, that music. Completely insane. He, he, he was
0: blind. He yeah. was blind. Yeah. So he didn't yeah. see the, the roof was dripping into a bucket.
2: <laughs> well, I was so, going to ask, what, what, what is that like almost atonal sound going on there? Well, we're going like, to get into yeah. that, but what was your pick? So it was uh, John Cage, uh, String Quartet in Four Parts, quietly flowing along, and basically I want—I picked it for two reasons, three reasons. One, because we're div- digging into the slightly more avant-garde part of the '50s. It's by John Cage, obviously one of the most. Well-known and studied avant-garde classical composers. Um, it's actually from the '50s, and it's about the string quartet in four parts goes through the four seasons, really, and quietly flowing along is about the summer, and summer just began here.
0: That's like oh, th- almost three weeks in a row now. Yeah, the four seasons. You've picked mm-hmm. a, a, a composition a thing. that's a season. Interesting, thing. and that was for th- for the listeners who may be confused. That Jim is just describing. The song that he played during the live read. That was the, mm-hmm. the the strings that you were hearing during the live read. And then we played right into Moondog, which had the 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 cra- not, the crazy it sounded like it, it sounded like, it sounded like water dripping into a bucket.
1: I mean, it was just a lot mm-hmm. of percussion instruments yeah. playing, like, Native American rhythms. Sure. And also...
2: But for the 50s, it's like... Yeah, You would never say, oh, yeah, that was from from the 50s. Yeah, but look,
1: let's just put it this way. Yeah. It, 50s seems, like, really old and all that kind of stuff, but, you I mean, people were just living their lives. They were still yeah. fucking crazy people or, yeah. like, you know, avant-garde people or people trying to do sure. things differently. That avant-garde nature has run throughout human history. Yeah. I mean, you know, like... Mm-hmm. It, I think,
2: yeah, the reason that it struck me, though, is I feel like so much of that is happening... Specifically in the jazz world,
1: what avant-garde uh,
2: in this period? Well, there's but still you know this. On.
1: This what's interesting yeah. about this guy is mm-hmm. that he is more involved in classical music yeah. than anything. Ah, so, so let so me read you. you might, let me read you John the Cage. The explanation of Moondog yeah. and the picture of this guy is he, you know, he's wearing a Viking helmet and he has a spear. He looks like the gatekeeper of the universe. Yeah. So, Hardin lived in New York City from the late 1940s until 1972, and during this time, he could often be found on Sixth Avenue between 52nd and 55th Streets, hmm. wearing a cloak and a horn helmet, sometimes busking or selling music, but often just standing silently on the sidewalk. He was recognized as the Viking of 6th Avenue by thousands of passerbyers and residents who were not aware Uh, of his musical career.
0: Where was it? 6th Avenue and between which streets? Between 52nd and 55th. Uh, I'm pretty sure... That's where the... Rough, the uh, rough Trade just moved to that location. Hmm. Really?
1: The, the the record store. The
0: record store that was very popular in Brooklyn just moved to uh, Midtown Manhattan, Rockefeller Center area. And I'm pretty sure it might be on 7th Avenue. But I don't know. It's right around that area, which is kind of interesting. I wonder if they... uh wonder if they it has something to do with the Moondog.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is that this guy lived for decades in the streets of New York City and s- seemingly was a crazy person. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. was... Was making avant-garde music, but then also highly recognized by classical, by classical uh, composers and conductors. Uh, so, like from the Philharmonic, yeah. and then he moves to Germany, of course. And is like this crazy avant-garde guy and he's mm-hmm. got a whole discography of music so this guy mm-hmm. is seemingly like a crazy person yeah. but he's actually like a, a like a like a poet and a, like his mm-hmm. look philip glass and steve reich took moondog's work very seriously and understood and appreciated it much more than what we were exposed to at juilliard mm-hmm. philip glass and steve reich are like two of the most well-known composers mm-hmm. also um he would create his own instruments. So part of what he would do is he would have found objects, create his own instruments, um and obviously from what we're listening to in that for, that's from 1956 yeah. recording. Um you know, he's using a lot yeah. of these instruments that he would have made.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in,
1: in those things. And if you listen to the later music, it's piano, orchestra, you know, like he was working, he was teaching, mm-hmm. uh, but he was like this also living this life of you know being on the street as a viking
0: when he moved when, when did he move to germany and i did, think in 19
1: f- i look right now hold on did he, 19 wait okay uh 1974 okay so oh, okay. does
0: he get credited for being an influence or father of krautrock cuz i feel like that's the vibe that no he into- doesn't
1: i mean because you know he moves to germany in 74 that's like the, that's like the end of yeah. krautrock or you know that's like the later Somewhat later half of Cret Rock, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's working with Philharmonics. He's you know, yeah. but he's definitely like a, a strange dude.
2: Yeah. I love it, the making your own instruments thing. It's, a, it's something I was actually thinking about. I think yesterday, I was listening to some violin that was playing on TV. I'm like, wow, the violin is such like a beautiful instrument, but it's also five hundred years old or something. I'm like, we haven't made enough new instruments and like new timbers. So, just to like create your own instrument that actually sounds good is just an incredible thing.
0: Thinking of a new contest now, yeah. pinchers, make your own instrument, record yourself playing your brand new instrument, <laughs> and you could win a chance to record it here live at Pinch Recording.
1: I'll make my own instrument right now. Ready? <laughs> It's but I think the thing I was going to
2: say is it's very difficult to make one that actually sounds good.
0: Yeah. What? That
1: sounded like an angel
2: slowly dying. There's a, dying.
0: There, there's, a re- there's a reason why there hasn't been a new instrument in a very long time. It ain't easy.
2: Well,
1: let's move on to the next choice.
2: Is Cindy Electronium by Raymond Scott obviously quintessential fifties number one hit recorded in nineteen eighty seven? No, uh, so it's actually from nineteen fifty nine. Um, this Wait, was name the
1: album. The album,
2: the uh, Manhattan Research Project.
1: No, Manhattan Manhattan Research Inc.
2: Oh, excuse me, Manhattan Research Inc. I mean, the, is well, there
1: that... a better name for an album?
2: No. Anyway, go ahead. So. <laughs> Scott apparently does not think so. So it did take it did take me some pains to confirm that this was from 1959. I originally found it on a YouTube video that said it was from 1959, but then the collection of music that it's on does say it's 1959. Raymond Scott is a well-known composer, so I I believe that what what is listed on his collection of music. So this guy Raymond Scott started out as a jazz quintet band leader and made music for radio, television ads, and cartoons. Um, but he was really interested in this kind of weird stuff. So he took the money that he earned from that and started creating his own electronic machines to make music. So speaking of making your own instruments. And so this is called the Electronium, which obviously is in the title of the song. And he started a company called Manhattan Research, Inc. to continue building these kind of crazy music machines. And the interesting thing about the Electronium is, well, first of all, there's only one left. There were very few ever created and they were not a commercial product. He was not selling them. He made them for himself and he really had one main one. Um, The only one he ever sold was to, um, to, uh, excuse me. Harry
1: Connick Jr. Zap and Roger.
2: (laughs) No, but to Motown two Motown uh-huh. records. They brought him up there to like work with them. He was very difficult to work with, but he sold them one electronium. But the the other interesting thing about the electronium is it, it was under constant evolution. He created the first one in 1959, but then throughout his life until he passed away in 1994, he was constantly changing it and updating it. So it wasn't just one instrument that did one thing. But it, you know, it basically generated music. There was no keyboard or anything like that. It basically had a primitive sequencer in it. that you could so patch it looked, into. Did it look
1: like the modular synth or what? Yes, very much. What? So a what? Huge, it,
2: a very big modular. What the fuck synth. was
1: this thing? It was a synthesizer.
2: Yeah, it, it was a synthesizer. He didn't like to call it a synthesizer, although under what? any definition, it was a synthesizer because it generated. When the sound was the first like synthesizer ant- ever made? Well, though. that's a very loaded question. Some people say there were early. Like sort of like versions of telegraphs that could generate tones that were were I think the early 1900s or even before that might be the first one.
1: Yeah, like Morse code, right?
2: Yeah, but you could say like you know a B three is a synthesizer. Um, so there's all all sort. That's another just like saying the first rock and roll song a debated point. This could definitely be considered one of the first ones that can really generate a song. Yeah,
1: because that sounded awesome. That sounded like a like a Radiohead yeah, or Where,
2: something. You said there's only one left. Where is it? Um, I could not tell you. I do believe it's in a museum, though.
0: This is a. It's yeah. also a great way to bring up the fact mm-hmm. that you guys have mm-hmm. a. Electronic synth album coming out? The synth daddies? When is that dropping,
1: Scott? It's actually called Nothing Something, mm-hmm. just so we get that in there. But it is also called The Synth Daddies. The synth yeah. daddies. The, the sort of avant the cult following called mm-hmm. The Synth Daddies. <laughs> yeah. That comes out in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will be a double LP for that as well, printed on vinyl.
0: The cult follower calls it The Synth Daddies.
1: But The Electronium. Mm-hmm. I mean, how amazing did that shit sound? It's, uh,
2: I mean, it does not sound like it's from the 50s. It sounds like it's from at least the 70s at the earliest.
0: Yeah, that's got, that has like, you told me that was something that David Byrne did as uh, just like a, a hidden track for Talking Heads. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What's the whole album like? Is it like long It's album? a. It's a
2: uh, well, this collection is very long and it's it's a lot like that. That's what it looks like. That one sounded the most modern. Can we put a picture of that? Yeah, uh, Scott or Jim is showing
0: us a picture of the electronium and I will post that on our social media. Make sure you are following us on Instagram so you can see the picture here of the electronium. You can follow us at pinch recording. Right? Pinch recording. Yep. Or you can follow me personally at go for Nick Angelo or Scott or Jim. It's all in the show notes. Go to the show notes, folks. That's what we're trying to tell you to do. Go to the show notes. Follow us. Leave us a message. Comment. Share. Like. That know. is
1: definitely one of the best picks you've ever put on, Jim. Thank you. We should do an episode of top picks. Although, then we're just talking about the same thing over again, which is a problem. Could
0: be good, though. It gives us another chance to talk about horse lips. But let's That's go to, true. let's go to yeah. the next song.
1: Listeners, don't forget to check out Horse Lips. <laughs> I feel all right this morning
2: now. I want everybody to know that
0: I was the one to say. You ain't nothing but hound dog by big mama Thornton and how awesome is that uh mm. her her growling that's what they when they recorded this song they said we want you to to growl it and she she basically did and that kind of kind of set the stage for uh, a Janis Joplin sound because Janis Joplin actually was a big fan of big mama Thornton in oh, fact she covered yeah. uh ball and mm. chain which was another uh big mama Thornton song mm. this was really her only hit uh, then of course Elvis took it and made it a, a monster hit, and kind of, kind of like, just Big Mama just never she never got the notoriety that she deserved for this song because Elvis kind of overshadowed her, and uh, I think that's a shame. And I think if we're gonna talk the fifties and we're talking the the birth of rock and roll, and look, Elvis gets credit for what he did, okay, but let's also not forget that Elvis also didn't write any of those songs and he took them from popular not so popular black artists from blues music and if we're going to do a more avant-garde underground under the scenes 50s playlist then yes I would like to put the the Mm. original Hound Dog by Big Mama Thornton on it Uh. Uh, another another little cool thing is one of my favorite artists I have talked about on the podcast before Johnny Ace I was going to put him on this playlist but we've already talked about it before so I didn't Uh, everyone knows on Christmas Day he accidentally killed himself by playing a game of Russian roulette. Bah- uh, backstage of a show, Big Mama Thornton was there. Wow! So that's uh, a that's, that's a that's a cool little uh, connection between Big Mama Thornton and Johnny Ace. So mm-hmm. check out Johnny Ace too. I think he's a I think he's a very very underrated artist that X gets absolutely no love.
2: Yeah. Well, one, I think it's great that we're having a '50s episode and. That's probably the extent that we'll talk about Elvis, who was obviously such a gigantic presence in the 50s, but we don't really need to talk about that here. Everyone knows about it. Um, and it's great to bring some good recognition to the people who actually first performed the songs that um, first recorded the songs that made him famous.
1: Yeah. And the dance made him famous. And you know where the yeah. dance came from, right? Forrest Gump. That's right. Forrest Gump. Uh, let's move on to our next pick. This summer I'm going to give a class in mushroom identification at the new school for social research. Actually, it's five field trips, not really a class at all. However when I proposed it to Dean Clara Meyer, though she was delighted with the idea, she said I'll have to let you know later whether or not we'll give it. So she spoke to the president who couldn't see why there should be a class in (coughs) mushrooms at the new
2: school. Next she spoke to Professor McIver who lives in Piermont. She said what do you think about our having a mushroom class at the new school? He said, fine idea. Nothing more than mushroom identification develops the powers of observation. This remark was relayed both to the president and to me. It served to get the class
1: into the catalog. And to- this, of course, is John Cage and David Tudor. Uh, Inter. Uh, yeah, I knew I was going to fuck that word up. Indeterminacy 3. <laughs> you know when you're like, oh, God, don't fuck this word up? Yeah. And you you absolutely will yeah I mean it must be tough doing the reads, um mm. but you know this is that was scared me actually when the piano hit like that um have you guys ever heard this no, no. never I've never heard it either what? I mean look John Cage is a <laughs> lunatic this guy <laughs> yeah I love him uh he's of course really well known he's a composer mm-hmm. and very well known in the avant-garde but he's also, you know I think his most famous thing is the four minutes and 33 seconds of silence right which is not actually silence but ba- have you heard about this Nick
0: I think we've talked about, I think we we've uh tried it before didn't we?
1: We tried it a little bit in a podcast where yeah. we did nothing. But basically what he does is he has everyone just sit there for 4 minutes and 33 seconds mm-hmm. as part of the the um that's the song. Yeah. Right? And what you're hearing is the noises that happen absent of the music. So like mm. if you were And and, and I love the theory of this, because if you're at the symphony or whatever and you're hearing all the music, there's also the sounds that the audience is making throughout that whole time. Mm -hmm. People coughing, people shuffling around, people, you know, whatever the case may be. Or whatever's happening
2: on stage. Or whatever's happening on stage, right.
1: So it's like taking the music out of it
0: entirely Mm -hmm. and just hearing the sounds. Oh, I'd lose my mind. That's like my worst. When we go to a Broadway show and it's like a very quiet soliloquy moment on stage and as soon as someone makes a noise no one can just sit still anymore Mm -hmm. and everyone always has to make a noise and it irritates me to no end that like that's why I Mm -hmm. prefer musicals because there's usually enough music playing that it drowns out the sound of someone shifting around or crinkling their program or chomping on their gum or something it's like Mm -hmm. oh my god oh my god oh my god shut up just shut up so the fact that this is a thing yeah. I, I think it would. It would be my torture.
2: I think it, in a way, though, based on what Scott's saying here, is that it really is about the other sounds. So people shifting around, not being able to sit still, is like part of it.
1: It is. I mean, when you go to the symphony, all you hear is old people coughing. Yeah. In fact, on my second album, Port of Dreams,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's I, one of the songs is called "Cough in a Hall." You remember this? Oh yeah, know. yeah. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, on that album, Jim has credits for pig noises. Pig noises. Pig um, but yeah one of the songs is called Cough in a Hall and it's literally about all the coughing you hear uh, at a live performance of the, in, in the symphony because mm. you have these beautiful moments of like Mozart and you know all this kind of stuff and then you hear just old people slowly dying <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, that's great but the other thing I want to mention is I think we all like Broadway enough to do a show tunes episode at yeah. some point we really, we really ought to do that no Scott's not into it
1: Were you it? No? Are you? That's a new in, instrument. It's called the Boat Face. The
0: Boat Face? The Boat <laughs> Face. <laughs> so uh, I guess stay tuned on the Broadway episode. I'm not sure. But uh, speaking of episodes, make sure you're checking out all the awesome shows here on Paper House Network, including myself and my good buddy and rival, Simon Siegel, as we talk everything NFL through the eyes of two rivals. Hey, sports fans! The Rust Belt Rivals are back with another season of All Things Football. Join Cleveland Browns fan Simon Siegel and Pittsburgh Steeler fan Nick Angelo as they take you on a trip around the league to help you make your picks, place your bets, and set your lineups for your fantasy squad. Get ahead of the competition with the Rust Belt Rivals. Only on Paperhouse Network. Wild Boy! Big head
2: Knows how to ride.
0: Knows how to roll.
2: Knows how to play. Knows how to snow. Lives in a tree. Digging and cake. Wild and free. Comes on like an earthquake. Wild Boy! So that is Wild Boy. By Eden Abes, so this was a guy was a new discovery for me. Um, but basically, this guy he was somewhere. He was, if you look at him and kind of read into him, he's kind of a hippie. But he really got to start in the late forties through the fifties. So maybe he's somewhere in between, like the beatnik and hippie movements. And I think there was a big—I shouldn't say—I think there was a big counterculture movement going on in the fifties with beats and beatniks and so on. But I think really they kind of adopted jazz as their music, which which makes sense. But they didn't just have the music that was like the music of the like, you know, free wheelin' beatnicks like the hippies might have had in the sixties. So I thought it was great to find this, like this was this music kind of targeted and coming out of that whole whole culture. Um, But he has a lot of early work in jazz. So he actually composed a number one hit for Nat King Cole called Nature Boy. Um, And then basically when he did Apparently he likes
1: the word boy a lot.
2: He does. He um, was discovered living under the L of the Hollywood sign. Oh. Um, And he was up there and he had long hair, beard. He only ate raw fruit and vegetables and it became kind of- like um a media frenzy when when this was discovered that he had written this number one song for the very clean cut Nat King Cole hmm. um, very moon dogish yeah very much so so which, yeah which L <laughs> Good. that that's a great question um but he was part of a movement called nature boys who kind of were you know hippieish people they had long hair beards vegetarians etc I love it I love yeah.
1: nature boys I love I love mm-hmm. the word boy in any kind of uh, album or anything like that. I don't know why it just sounds funny, yeah, and awesome like Nature Boys. It really does. Okay,
0: well, you know who is the Nature Boy? Rick Flair. Woo! Sorry, couldn't help myself. Um, this what genre would you put this song into? That
2: if, is a great question.
1: I would put it in avant garde jazz, yeah, or um, avant garde, but there's blues a, this, jazz. The, the use of that saxophone
0: yeah. makes me think of other stuff that I can't put my finger on. But it just like reminds me of. I, I don't know. It, it has a Tom Waits feel, yeah. except
1: without, with less structure. I mean, obviously, this is just one song, but like it's, you know, there's a whole group. It's very much like a whole group in a studio, all like vibing out together, and this guy like screaming the lyrics yeah. over. Do it, you, you know? remember
0: the scene in The Godfather 2 when they're in Cuba and they go to the sex show? It's when Michael Corleone realizes that Fredo is the one who. Uh, Turned his back on him. He's, mm-hmm. he's like, ah, Jimmy Ola took me to these places. He's you know, all yeah. these, all these joints. And uh, but they're at a sex show, and this music is kind of what I like. When I heard this, I'm like, I thought mm-hmm. of that scene because that was like the music that was playing mm-hmm. at this. Yeah, well, was yeah, 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 yeah. It
1: definitely yeah. it has like a burlesque vibe to it. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He's definitely pulling from a lot of cultures outside of America, outside of the normal you know, jazz, rock stuff.
0: It's interesting, too, because I've never... Look, I've never even heard of this or or him, but the way you just described him is a, kind of a hippie, vegan, kinda, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, not going... He's going against the grain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, now we'd look at that as probably... He's like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, that's a cool guy who gets... It, he yeah. got it right. He's very mellow. Mm-hmm. Yet, the long hair and going against the grain and not mm-hmm. eating meat and making sounds like this, yeah. he probably
2: terrified oh, people yeah. well, in the 50s? Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, this was 10 years at least before the hippie movement. He also, he also has a quote that I pulled out here. He said, I look crazy, but I'm not. And the funny thing is that other people don't look crazy, but they are
1: boom roasted yeah i mean you know i love these crazy fuckers because mm-hmm. here's the thing we live in new york right yeah and we have crazy fuckers all over the fucking place yes.
0: right we were talking earlier about how scott was gonna try not to swear so much and he just went right no i didn't say it. i was gonna
1: try not to i said my wife said i swear too much on the podcast <laughs> and i said well what the fuck i'm gonna be me you know what i mean what am i gonna do
0: i, I go back go back back to the crazy but the fuckers, thing is please. when
1: you look at the crazy fuckers mm-hmm. you never know if know. they're crazy or not, maybe yeah. they're just avant-garde musicians who have these mm-hmm. amazing albums that you never heard of, yeah. or they might be just actually crazy. More yeah, so than not, I think they you are crazy. Know, more so than not, remember I the, think they are. Because
0: remember that George Carlin bit when he's like, "Oh, they always say it's the it's the uh, quiet the one. Ones. It's the quiet ones you got to watch. Oh yeah, well you're too busy watching the quiet one. Allow one, my fucking kill you." <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's a great bit. <makes> ooh-ah. <noise>
0: I do fools fall in love by Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. And I, I think we would be remiss. I know we're kind of going off the beaten path and avant-garde in the fifties, but doo-wop was a huge sound in the fifties. And I think we would be remiss if we did not talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I picked this song, especially because a it's so good. I mean, how do you not get it? When you hit do, boomba? the, the, the bass of the, of the, of the, uh, the guy, the guy singing the bass. And just how <laughs> the bass of the guy singing the I mean, bass—that yeah, yeah, is you know. the Pittsburgh moment of the episode—and yes, uh, uh, <laughs> then just like just the idea of what Frankie Frankie Lyman was thirteen years old when wow. he
2: when he made this barely film. made it into the teenagers he
0: yeah he barely made it into the teen, they were they called the I think they were called the the pioneers before they became the uh, teenagers okay. um, but doo wop was such an important sound and Frankie Lyman and the teenagers were kind of the. The beginning of what became Motown mm. because not only did he not only did the teenagers create the boy band, his high pitched soprano voice created the girl band, and that was he gets credited for being an influence to all the uh the, the Marvelettes and uh you know uh the Diana Ross and everybody in in the Motown sound, uh, of guys and girls, clearly was. The, the building blocks of what became the Jackson five, uh mm-hmm. being a, a, a young star and of, unfortunately for Frankie, he got into heroin when he was fifteen. Oof. And he he ended up he did not he battled it his entire life. Uh but he um but I just I think it's it's one of those bands that kinda gets lumped in together as fifties doo-wop. But meanwhile Frankie Lyman himself was just such a influence on on the movement of you know, R&B and soul uh, as a whole. So I I, I think Frank, Frankie Lyman deserves a lot more credit than he gets deserved. And just, God, how good is that song?
2: I love doo Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love yeah. it. it. It sounds
1: great. It's very complex, actually, like yeah. having to come up with all those harmonies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that happens on early in this period where people, are, people making records are coming from like classical composition or jazz backgrounds where they want to... Have a much more comp, you know complex arrangement versus what happens in the later fifties and sixties.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a great point. I uh, and I just wanted to bring up some doo wop and Frankie Lemon. Yeah. give him a, give him a little bit of credit. It sounds fantastic. Give him a little bit more credit than he yeah. than, you know, than he usually gets.
1: Well, everybody, we've made it through the fifties, and it was a beautiful journey. What do we got here, Loretta Lynn? Yeah, baby. This is one of. I thought Nick put this
0: on. I did. I actually put a lot of country music on. I wanted to get into it, but I just there's there was a
2: lot. It's just too much. Never enough time. Never.
1: Yeah. I, I look. I gotta be honest. I didn't think the 50s was going to be so complex. I feel like we could definitely yeah. have a a 50s part two, but the 50s really felt like the impetus of so much.
0: I know. It was the origin. It was like it was taking all of old music and kind of starting to twist it into what. Is now what we listen to It's like It was like the turning point Of a lot of different genres And the microwave Right Wasn't that the 50s The microwave Sure Think about that Yeah And it's, about- all, it's also When the lightning Struck the clock tower Yeah, yeah. So Is which, what makes Time Travel Possible,
1: possible. Um, but listen guys Thank you so much Follow us on pin- at Pinch Recording That's the recording studio's Instagram That's where we do all of our beautiful things We post pictures, episodes, all that kind of stuff Follow us and all the other kind of shit And uh, you know What else can I say really We love you all We love you all the listeners Especially the ones in the Philippines Because we, we have a big following there And in Trinidad. Ireland
0: Big shout out to Trinidad and Tobago We're in the top charts there So and, thanks for listening over in Trinidad and, and Tobago And
1: the, the guy in Kenya
0: yeah, don't the, forget about the guy the, in Kenya. The runner. The guy who listens to us when he runs in Kenya. Big shout out to you, buddy. Jimmy. you got any
1: shout outs?
2: Um, I have no shout outs. You guys pretty much covered it.
1: All right. We'll see you next week. you can find. Cause if you back love, well, you don't need none of mine. So don't come home with drinking with on your mind. House.